Hello, and welcome to Sutra Sidewatch, episode 25, which I just realized it's like our quarter. We made it. We got a quarter. That's true. Yeah. Wow. Shit. Wow. And also, and, like, it's what's exciting is like the number 25 for today's episode. You want to know something funnier than 24? What? 25. So the correlation with uh, 25 and today's episode is quite, quite magical. Um, did we even say hi? Did we no, even say hi? I'm, I'm your host, Kamran Shushtar, and with me hosting is... I'm Brandon from Apollo City Comics. And um, you didn't get that SpongeBob reference. I'm very ah, sad. No, very sad. no, over my head on that one. Oh, man, I mean, it's over the water on that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, put some sound effects now. I'm cold inside. <laughs> <laughs> Well, happy holidays, Cameronian. Um, we're kicking this one off to properly represent you and your beliefs by doing a Christmas movie. I think we're doing two Christmas movies. Two Christmas movies. <laughs> we're doing two Christmas <laughs> Next year, it's going to be something. <laughs> we're we're going to not Eight Crazy Nights. I know people are basically always going to say Eight Crazy Nights, but we're not. We're going to do like... The South Park movie. We're going to figure something out. We're going to we're going to figure something out. Well, I'm sure there's something somewhere. I'm just going to be digging around like oh, there's something here. I know it. Some deeply like rooted like Hanukkah movie that's We'll like... just do the Rugrats Hanukkah special that <laughs> we'll just... <laughs> We did we did months and months of research to find out that the only Hanukkah movie out there is the Rugrats Christmas special. Dude, you know what's funny? I was uh Pixar did like an Instagram Hanukkah post today and mm-hmm. it had like dreidels and stuff and i'm like oh how come they don't have any of their Jew- oh right there are no pixar jewish characters none <laughs> and i'm like well i'm sure disney animation oh fuck there isn't anything Damn. is there yeah you're pretty right about that huh yeah i don't think there is anything in that area huh was Walt Shit. disney a nazi is that how we're you know there were show? he's not actually <laughs> uh, you know he never no but you know sometimes you're just kind of like huh well that's weird at least DreamWorks helped us out, right? Prince of Egypt, baby. You <laughs> Just know, king of dreams. Walt Disney was behind that whole thing of world domination. So, hey. I thought it was Mickey Mouse. Hey, different approaches, you know? That's true. Mickey yeah. Mouse was the catalyst for it, but. I thought he was the mouse list. So, we're talking about It's a Wonderful Life today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I, I've always wanted to see this movie because. In one of the Batman the Animated Series Christmas specials, uh, uh, Dick um, is trying to... It's so funny saying Dick's name and anything. It's just funny as hell. Robin, when he was still Robin. Yeah, when yeah. he was still Robin. Uh, was trying to get Batman to watch It's Wonderful Life. And they get interrupted because the Joker breaks out of Arkham and they have to go stop By the Joker. launching out of the asylum on a Christmas tree rocket. Yes. He just rides the Christmas tree out and no one stops him. Yes. like, <laughs> And that's just kind of like... Did he just do that? I mean, I guess you earned it. You got... <laughs> Yeah, he how can you not, do this? <laughs> but he tried. Um, the whole movie, it, the episode starts off with you know Dick trying to be like, "You got to watch It's a Wonderful Life, Bruce. I can't believe you've never seen it. It's a it's a great movie. It's real touching." And then uh, at the end of the episode, they end up watching it, um, and it was cute. Like I've always been like, I got to sometime watch this movie just to see what it is. And this you know channel is made for those movies I've been meaning to watch my whole life, and I was. I don't really know anything about the movie going in. I don't. Have you seen this movie previously in the past? I've seen bits and pieces. I saw like the the 
the what if portion like in the oh, second okay. like the and i would say not even the second half like the last third of the film or so oh. the last quarter like the last quarter because it's a very short portion yeah. i didn't so i honestly that's like thought 20 minutes of the film and it's a two-hour yeah, that's film. like yeah, yeah it, i thought like that's the whole premise of the film is like what happens if he wasn't born all the deeds he's done and i thought this whole time that that was majority of the movie i didn't know that that was just literally a fraction it was only a fourth I think, yeah of the entire yeah film. it was t- the last 10 minutes are him like back to life and whatnot back in his like little reality now i'm going and, to prison yeah <laughs> yeah like, exactly. oh shit um, yeah but the last because i remember i had to pause it because i was I, I even had to get up to get some water and whatnot um and it, it still had like 30 minutes left and that's right when he like died um or had you know tried to kill himself and everything and i was like damn they're they're gonna cover a lot of ground <laughs> in 20 minutes and it actually it, it doesn't feel bad at all. They kind of hit the right notes. It worked well because yeah. you don't want it to be. I, I thought about it just watching that and just kind of feeling the complete different tone of just hate. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't want this to be an entire film. Like, yeah, I, I'm glad it's a very small portion for sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and it pulls from a Christmas Carol. You know, a very popular Christmas story that I feel like the Muppets Christmas Carol is the best version of that story. Um. <laughs> that's one of my favorite christmas movies i won't argue with you yeah yeah it's, it's wonderful dude um but i yeah that's all i kind of knew about it it was like a, a a different version of a christmas carol like kind of like a modern retelling because who knows i don't know how old that story is i don't think you christmas do. carol yeah i kind of want to look that up now actually because this I mean th- that's the thing like it's hard to say for that because this movie is from 1946 this is a year after world war ii ends yeah, I think this is actually apart from honestly the apart from October with our vampire films. These are this is like the oldest movie. This is like you know those were very much before. Those were between World War One and Two. Mm-hmm. This is like right after World War Two. Well, A Christmas Carol was uh, written by Charles Dickens um, in 1843. So this did I guess this would be kind of a modern retelling a little bit before. Of the time. Just a little bit. Yeah, it's just like, a tad. It's only 100 years, <laughs> yeah. I think, right? Yeah, that's it. 100, I, I love yeah, that it's like written 177 years. years ago. Holy shit. Damn. That story is almost 200 years old. That is that's kind of crazy, actually. Well, yeah. And the director, uh, Frank Carpa, um, he did a bunch of stuff for... Uh, um, I'm trying to think. I think he did some World War... One propaganda films, World War Two like films and everything. Like he he did a bunch of like stuff revolving that era at the time, and this was kind of his honestly one of his poorly. Uh, I mean, there was this was his decline of his career. Was it's a wonderful life? Um, that that it it's a wonderful life performed so poorly, like in the box Which office. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like looking back now, I mean, now everyone knows it, or everyone like. I feel like our generation might not know I, it. I feel like maybe not know it, but they know of It's a Wonderful Life. They've, they've at yeah, least they, heard of like, the Clarence, title. Clarence, I'm getting my wing, or Clarence yeah. is getting his wings, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I think everyone's aware of the story. It's kind of like Star Wars, you know? Or, I don't know, Nightmare Before Christmas and crap. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those tales that you know for a season. Yeah. Because they would I mean, Nightmare it. Before Christmas is, like, Hot Topic Christmas. Yeah, but everyone knows yeah. of that story. Yeah. Yeah. We should do one of those. Like, I'm not a fan of Tim Burton. Uh, as I grew, as just a straight real fast. Like, as I grew up, I realized he was like a great. I, I like him as an art director, but not like 
as a story. I, I think I think Nightmare is a little bit overrated, but I also just want to see people's reactions. When yeah, I say people that always well. freak out when I say that. When I'm just like, I don't know, maybe I got to rewatch it. It's been years. Yeah. Um, I don't want to do an episode on that crap though. Unless I watch it and then <laughs> and then I'm like, oh fuck, we should. But no, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. We'll we'll figure we'll see what we make for next year's December. I doubt it's gonna be on there though. I yeah. doubt that's that I don't we're already I'm already maybe, shooting maybe that one give down. this movie like twenty years down the line of us doing the show and we'll be like, hey, Oh my god. Why? Like I guess we, we ran out of movies. We have to we have no other choice. Like this is the only one. We already did the one Hanukkah movie and we did like eighteen other Christmas films. <laughs> It's gonna we're gonna do all the Christmas rom coms before we get to Oh that. god. Oh yeah, we'll do um what's that Love Actually? Is that the one? That one and the one with Ryan Reynolds. With Ryan Reynolds, which one is one? Isn't the one where he's like big and then you do just friends, isn't that a Christmas movie? Oh yeah, maybe. I potentially. So. Was Serendipity a Christmas Serendipity movie? is a Christmas movie. In fact I watched that okay. last year. It's a good movie. I need to fully I never fully um, watched that movie. I need to watch that. That's a good movie. Yeah. You know there's actually in New York a Serendipity like cafe there's like three of them and they have these giant cold hot chocolate things and they're amazing oh wow my sister took it took me to one uh when i was visiting from college oh my god i was like holy shit this is crazy well yeah, speaking of real life things you could go visit new york you could go and visit the actual town that this was all based off of it was a really yeah it was actually based off of like seneca falls over in new york huh yeah yeah that's cool yeah interesting I was- I feel like honestly, because I guess being in the topic really fast of just Christmas, like I'm in the West Coast, I'm in California, and we have Christmas, of course, we celebrate Christmas, it's still a big thing here, but we don't get the seasons as much, especially in San Francisco, Oh, and LA is LA, Yeah. so we don't really have that full seasonal feeling, we still, you know, decorate, do all this stuff, get trees, I personally hate getting trees, but that's just because of a family thing because uh, no one's ever satisfied with how the tree looks and I got to do all of it. I'm just like, fucking oh, shit, shit. <laughs> throw the tree out the window. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's not it's not that big here in terms of just like full-on festivities and whatnot. Uh, there's still like giant tree lightings and even a giant Hanukkah candle in like Union Square downtown. But when you think about it, like at least for American Christmas, like you think of the East Coast, you think of like, I guess, New York, because they got the parades going and everything else, but also, I don't know. I feel like a cool place for Christmas would be Vermont. Oh, I bet. It's like all yeah. snowy. It's forest. You get like the actual cabins. Virginia, it sounds that like a really entire area. Time. Yeah, that's that's kind yeah. of ideal. That's kind of dream Christmas status. You know what I mean? I, I I feel the same way with you. The movie started, and it was kind of like a dream. You know, because I you know I'm like like you. I'm into a, an area that doesn't get very many seasons. El Paso, Texas is like desert. We're lucky if we get like a half inch of snow or an inch of snow a year, you know? Um, and the chances of that happening on Christmas has happened like once in the 30 years I've been on this planet. <laughs> like, no, of it's course, just yeah. not, it does not line up very well. And so like, you know, that whole, the whole vibe that you get from Christmas that a lot of people have for Christmas, you know, it's kind of foreign to us, you know, that's kind of very dreamlike almost Hollywood, if you would say, uh, yeah, of Christmas, actually. you know, it's very, it seems fake. Um, Even when you're a kid, all those Nickelodeon Christmases, everything's like all snowy and yep. stuff. And hell, hell, like fucking Hey Arnold, doesn't that take place in like New York? Yeah. Doesn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it all feels like. It uh, all, it's just like it's something you wish you would, you can kind of like you want to aspire to 
be one day and celebrate a Christmas like in a cozy. You never got a snow day. No, never. Fuck no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we get snow days when it snows here because our town freaks the fuck out because we don't know what to do when <laughs> snow <laughs> happens. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking just of becomes snow, wacky inflatable arms. They created a new kind of movie snow for this film. Really? Yes. Uh, I don't know if I could pull it up right away. Um, but yeah, they, they made a new kind of movie snow for this. I thought that was a kind of an interesting, um, thing that they did. I don't know where I found it or read it or anything, but speaking of the box office aspect real fast, just cause I had this open, um, it was an immediate hit. Um, it put Carpa or Cap Capra, um, Frank, Frank Capra, Frank Capra, yeah, half a million in the hole, which left him scrambling to finance his production company's next picture state of the union. Oh yeah, damn. and it's really like what made this movie popular over time is that um, it kind of found a new life on television. Uh, when its copyright lapsed, like in the seventies, uh, it kind of made it available for royalty free stuff, um, and everyone who wanted to show it for the next twenty years, which is why it was on, you know, TV all the time. It was just like a, it's kind of like a Christmas story. This is like one of those films that's always playing in December around the Christmas, you know, the day Eve and whatnot. So, yeah. you know, that was really just because all the royalties were just available and people were able to do it. And it just became hugely popular. And it makes sense. 70s was like a big TV boom. It was like another, you know, click at that time for television. So for it to hit the hit it then and, you know, ramp out through the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, now it's it's not as popular, I guess, because it's kind of it just feels dated. But I mean. Like we said, I feel like everyone is at least aware of this story. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And looking at Frank, Frank Capra's like whole listing, he's got like fifty nine credits for directing, specifically among like over two hundred things he's done. I guess overall yeah. as like other positions, but like he starts in the twenties and just builds up all these random movies. Everything from what looks like romances, theft at one point. Uh, some form of battle a little bit, not too much action really, until you get to the 40s and you see a lot of uh, uncredited war propaganda, it looks yeah, like. Battle of Britain, go. Tunisian victory, Nazis strike, uh, know your enemy, Japan. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that went well. Uh, like, yeah, so it's like all these different ones. This is the first film he does post-World War II, post-propaganda. So what year did this come out? Like 43, 47? 46. 46. The year after... Yeah, a year after the world. Okay, so you got to like really imagine where the world was at this point, you know, kind of just coming back to life after World War II. Um, man, Hollywood was it was it was just like a grind job. I mean, it still is in that sense, but back then it was just like, oh, I I just I do this like, and you just pump stuff out, and that's all they were doing is just nonstop pumping like, like in a different kind of beast than it is now, but. Um, you know, this is a weird era, and it's kind of weird how you watch this film. Again, you know, stories tell us everything, and stories can, you know, tell the past and the future and the present all at the same time. And this is one of those uh, just major stories that just like, hey, this is still relevant to audiences today. Like, anyone who watches this can still definitely connect and learn the lesson and feel the value behind it and, you know, probably connect with it in some sort of way which is really powerful, um, especially because of the writing process behind this film. It, it started off as a short story, like a 21-page short story, 
And really? yeah, I forget, I forget who, who wrote it. Um, I'm sure we could look it up right now, but the, it, it wasn't publishable. Basically nobody was going to publish it. And the guy for Christmas one year, just, it was just kind of, he kind of sent it out with his Christmas card <laughs> to everybody, <laughs> all of his friends. He's like, read my shit. And I was like, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, and it landed in, um, hands of the director, Frank Capra, uh, Capra. And, uh, he basically just, you know, offered to buy the movie rights for for it for the short story and they sold it and it went under major revisions compared to the original story and i would love to read it i definitely want to try to find a copy and hunt it down but um you know it's credited with three writers but there there's like a uh, i don't know do you have the writers in front of you yeah give me a sec it is francis goodrich albert hackett and uh pretty much frank frank capra as well so both uh the other two writers, not Frank, um, I forgot. The Francis, Francis and, and Albert. And Albert. Yeah, they they really, they're credited with writing, but they walked out on the writing process. They couldn't handle really? the strain that Capra was putting onto him. And he was, apparently he was just like an asshole. Like he was just a dick. And they just. Do you think like, he was like that because of just all the war stuff and this is like his first film since then? Or do you think he just naturally was always like that? Because looking at like his whole history, yeah, majority of his films were before the war and then he has those propaganda and wonderful life is the start of like the end of his filming because he doesn't really do much more after that there's only like a few like i want to say like six or something that yeah he does compared to like the other 50 he had yeah i think the the nature of the industry was changing a lot at that point too um i don't know too much about my hollywood film history but i know that there was major turns um towards the late 30s and the 40s and it went from one type of machine. I mean, it's just an evolution in filmmaking, you know? Uh, what it was in the 50s wasn't the same as it was in the 60s. Every decade, it kind of changes. And it was doing a major shift at this time. So I think his style, that Wizard of Oz kind of feel, was kind of drifting away. And maybe he, he just couldn't do it after the war either. Maybe there was just like, he wasn't hitting the right tones, hitting the right people. Um, which shocks me, because this is a really good movie. Like... I don't know why this movie wouldn't have done well. Maybe they just didn't sell it right. I know the elevator pitch was basically about, you know, a guy's going to kill himself on Christmas Eve and an angel that's trying to get its wings is going to save him and make him realize it's not too, like it's not the greatest elevator pitch, but it's, I don't know. It kind of baffles me on that. Yeah. I mean, obviously it worked out because it, over time it just got more and more popular. It just, it grew more popular over time for mm -hmm. sure. I'd say like probably within the decade it came out, or around the 50s if anything and then uh from there like ask a lot of parents and they probably would be like oh yeah no like baby boomers i bet especially that generation like huh. got this film for sure um i think even my grandparents at this point too but yeah it's i mean looking at imdb it's got like an 8.6 out of 10 out of uh 425 over 425,000 reviews so it's right. still like a strong score meta meta score is uh, 89 so it's very it's high really at least bad. in that i mean and yeah. i feel like there's a lot of people that would watch it and not understand it either but you know when you look at terms of structure and if you look at terms of like oh just like you know act 1 2 and 3 like it's so recognizable like it the way your setup was brilliant I really love the beginning of the film because it, it, what it does, like when movies like this that are very grounded and kind of just reality based, but they're not, 
You know what I mean? Like they, they set those expectations up at the very beginning and you're talking to like the cosmos and they're talking to each other and they're talking, you know, they're assigning an angel and all that stuff. Like, you know, this is fake. Like you, you see the yeah. fantasy behind this right away, but then it brings you back down and you're in this grounded root, you know, story for the entire film until the third act, basically. And that's when things kind of shift up again and that magic starts to appear. Um, I think that's a you know that's something that is a big miss for a lot of movies when it in terms of expectations. There's a Steven Spielberg film. I forget what it is. It's one of his like early films. And oh, what what it always War Horse. I don't know if it's, it's War probably War Horse. Is it the airplane one? Is that the one you're thinking? Yeah, it's with the horse. Uh, War Horse is the one where the horse flies the plane, and bombs the Japanese. Oh, maybe that is. Or is that the one where like the animated legs come out from under it? Oh no! I was just joking. Oh, I was, dude! I no, no, no literally, I'm talking, yeah, it's literally like a war fucking... movie that he did. He did like a like an Air Force movie, kind of um, a World War II film, and it was about this guy, this animator that just always wanted to draw and everything. And basically, towards the end, they're playing. Gets and he directed this one, or was it? Yeah, he, he directed, directed this it. movie. Yeah, he directed it. And okay, give me a sec. Yeah, if you could find out the name of it, it's a good it's a good analysis just to keep in mind because this entire film, you know, this whole thing is you know. It's real short, but it, it it sets up this whole thing on a very grounded level. And at the end of it, you know, the plane is going down. And then the guy that always wanted to draw, he's stuck at the end. So he has to fly the plane until the last second um, so that he could save his team. And, is it 1941? No, no. no. This one, uh, hysterical Californians prepare for a Japanese invasion in the days after Pearl Harbor. No, that's not it. Um, damn, okay, I should have. I always forget the name of it. I'll look it up, or if you well, I guess find it. quick is it before, or after, like Indiana Jones and. Oh, Jaws? I think it's before all that. Before, before all that. that, okay, okay. And so, Let's... like when this pilot's about to die and crash and whatnot, like he he draws, you know, uh, legs to come out of the plane, like wheels and everything, and then these imaginary, like these, like animated wheels come out of the plane and the plane lands and he survives and everything's okay. Like you, you know, he's going to die. Like there's no way out of this situation. And then they drop this like metaphysical explanation to make the guy survive. But the entire story you're caught up in reality. And then for them to drop that in there at the very end, it just feels robbed, you know, like it feels wrong. And it feels like they took like everything you just watched and was just like, Oh, this could have all been crap. You, you, you set up poor expectations in that film, but this one, the way they started and introduced it, it sets you up for what you're going to see. Like, the, the, it's going to be, you know, the very, the end of it doesn't surprise you. And I think that's just for being early filmmaking. I think that was just a perfect way to, you know, begin your setup. And then you got to see the ordinary world, where he came from, like his upbringing. And then like, you know, pretty much you could hit every single like story arc turn and, you know, stuff like that like throughout the entire film and i think that was just a really perfect way to do it i don't know i i think it's a great like kind of maybe even st- a film to study at some point okay well for sure and i i looked through and the only thing i could find was potentially one called fighter squad but it's an eight minute short that's what it is 61 oh okay yeah ah. yeah yeah so yeah it's, yeah it's an eight minute short because it's a. Uh, was it Sean and his friends have to taste World War Two? The, oh, the horror of World War Two. That's all it says. But okay, huh? I guess that was when he was in film school or something. If it's like a short, 
Oh. Or I guess like right after film school. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's only a minute long. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um we gotta we gotta watch it and then check it out. And then you'll see what I mean. Like, you know, those listening, if you guys check out this film and then you see how they kind of get you at the end of that, you're kinda just like, Oh well I mean fuck. <laughs> like, you know, what's the lesson in this type of thing, you know? Um Yeah. But the whole thing is and you know, especially coming out of not even coming out of because there's a new fucking variant, but like, you know, COVID times and everything. And you kind of lose sight of what's important to you at times. And you kind of lose sight, you know, everything kind of has gone hard on a lot of people. It doesn't matter, you know, how well off you are um, or anything. You know, I feel like this has just been a really strenuous two years on the world and kind of just taking a step back. And when you think about how rough and how hard times are and where you should be in life. And, you know, I feel like, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I feel like the majority of the people out there feel like they are behind in life right now, that we're yeah. not achieving what we wanted to be achieving, that we're not hitting what we wanted to hit. And then in a way, just like, you know, all these twists and turns happen to, uh, you know, our character in its wonderful life. Um, that's what's happened to everybody in the world is that, you know, we're about to like do something and then something has happened where it's just been yanked from you. And now you're just like, oh, well, fuck, I got to do this other thing that now I'm forced to do. Like, it's not what I wanted to do, but it's what I need to do. And it kind of puts you in a new direction. And I feel like that's like a it's a really good film to watch right now because you could just understand and look at the reality and kind of put yourself in a new perspective of like, hey, you know what? Like things aren't really as bad as it really seems just because some things aren't going right. And, you know, maybe my main goal isn't the target I wanted. But I mean, I have good stuff around me and I'm just kind of being blind of seeing it because it's, you know, you lose sight of things sometimes. Yeah, very much so. Especially majority of the movies just showing what he has or the actions he's done that mm -hmm. affected like everyone around him. Yes. And it builds up a lot because at first, you know, before watching it and just seeing bits and pieces, I'm assuming like, oh, It'll quickly tread over it, and then you'll get to the what-if scenario of what if he was never born, and you'll see exactly how it is, and I'll go back, and I'm like, oh, okay, so it'll be like a little thing, and then I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, no, completely wrong. It's like a whole ball game here. Yeah. You're looking at his childhood. You're looking at his, like, t I guess, like young adult years to where then he's in his 20s, and now he's, like, I think late 20s at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah. When he wasn't he even 30. Day. Yeah, he wasn't even 30 at the end of the movie. So He's like 27, I think, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a whole journey showing him that starts off with like his brother to the druggist. I think yeah. it was, his, was it the druggist? That's how you say it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But the guy that handles on the, I guess the pharmacist. You yeah, could say. You go, yeah. Yeah. That'd be a better word for now. Um, to just everyone that needed money. Yeah. Uh, among like his own wife and everything else. That was, you know, that whole, what we were saying with the slow buildup, it, it was a big payoff. You know, he, he had $2,000 for his honeymoon and, you know, fucking Harry Potter over here is being an asshole and trying to run everything and control everything. I wonder if that's like, I, I, at first when I heard his name was Henry Potter, I was like, damn, is this guy like an influence at, for, you know, Harry and then um, he's an asshole. And I was like, oh, I guess that's yeah, not I was him. like, I highly doubt yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> that in the banker aspect. I was like, okay, maybe there is a connection. Like, you know, Harry does have that whole thing with Gringotts. So who knows? But no, totally different. Um, in fact, all the Gringotts 
elf things do look like Henry Porter. If you think about it. They're all bald. They're all mean. I'm sure if they had a wheelchair, it'd look just like that. Or do some side yeah, so, <laughs> uh, um, Anyway. What was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, he's using his honeymoon money, the $2,000 he had, to, like, make sure everybody felt secure banking with him. And because he knew the ramifications if they went over to Henry Porter. And then at the end of the film, you know, for all of them to come together and be like, hey, man, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a house. I'd be in Potter's Field. And, you know, he gets well over the $8,000 that his uncle had misplaced. And it's it's kind of crazy how evil really seemed to win for a moment. Um, but everything he had done throughout his life, like that couldn't even take him down. I thought that was a really yeah. cool, interesting aspect. It's like your outlook and how you treat people is what's going to carry you over throughout time. What I thought was interesting, too, was... I mean, I guess not interesting, but I... I cracked up because, you know, by the end of it, you're thinking maybe Potter will have like a turnaround yeah. where he'll be like, oh, I've been doing this wrong because he stole the money. He stole the $8,000 that the uncle left because the uncle is fucking like, oh, you know, my my nephews are better than you and yeah. I'm gloating to you. And I'm, oh, I forgot the money because I was so busy gloating to you. And I'm just like, for fuck's sake. I are know, you? yeah. <laughs> like, the dude's like, and then I realized I'm like, you know, this dude talks to animals on his own. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh my I didn't God. realize. Do the animals? I thought it was just guy. the crow. I didn't know there were more until he gets like to the house and he's like, "Oh no!" Dude, the squirrel goes and gives him a hug, <laughs> and I was like, "Damn it, that's so cute." Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I would have, I would have done the same thing as, uh, as George. I would have fucking like strangled the guy. <laughs> then like, you lost eight thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, that's that's the cool part about this whole film is that I was looking at how George was and how he reacted and how much like I kind of related to him in that sense where it's just like, you know, sometimes stuff just stacks and stacks and then you go into this panic and you can't get out of it, you know? And it just like his emotions and his reactions felt so real. Like it wasn't over overdone or, you know, overacted or overplayed or drawn out. Like I felt like they were so maybe the suicide part. I feel like that probably like, <laughs> you know. Well, that's for the money, if anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he knew like the outcome of it, like, you know, what it was going to look like and how the events were all unfolding. But his reactions to his family and to his uncle and what he was trying to do just felt so, so real and natural that I was like, I, it doesn't matter that this was made in 46. This is still, you know, again, relevant. And it, it, it worked really well specifically because when you look at George and you just watched everything he's done, he sacrificed his ear. He sacrificed, like he got the shit kicked out of him by a guy who was about to kill somebody. Basically yeah. he sacrificed his school, his travel, his every dream he had, he sacrificed, mm -hmm. he sacrificed his own money and like everything like it was just like holy shit he literally had nothing for himself and then he puts it all pretty much into this building into this like bank that is barely even a bank really it's just like kind of like a hey i'm just keeping you going and i'm just barely standing yeah that makes him no profit. it's like the worst family-owned business i've seen in my entire fucking <laughs> life and all of a sudden your uncle loses 
the money to that and what's not going through his mind isn't i've like you could tell like it's not just the fact that oh he lost the money and we're gonna lose it it's like i literally put my entire life into here and he just jeopardized jeopardized like every single thing i've ever invested in my entire life yep right at that moment and all of that's coming into him at the same time because it's also going if this fails that means my entire life was a waste because all that was for nothing and i just did that we saw all this time when i could have been doing everything else i wanted to do and actually been happy for myself instead of like making everyone else happy except for me which yeah that's fucking insane yeah that, that's such a crazy concept and it's like it brings into like that whole i guess question of like you know it's great being selfless but also do you really want to get fucked over that badly by, yeah by always being that selfless yeah you know that's it's one of those movies that like you could take it in one of two ways it's just like it's really up you know uplifting and kind of opens your eyes but then it's also one of those movies that like i don't know i feel like there's certain people that can watch this and actually get more upset because they're like well i mean i did do all that and i still like i fell like i I totally failed and it's it's not the outcome they got out of it you know because that's not the way their life went that's where it turns really hollywood um i'll say is that ending and Oh, the whole town comes in with money, and then they're like one of the assistants is like counting up all the money, like oh boy, and yeah, even exactly. the fucking even the bank analyst guy Tosses donates, bucks. Yeah. and then the guy, the DA guy with the warrant is just like, oh, you're free, son, it's and you're just, just like, like, I'm not gonna give you money, but I ain't gonna arrest you. <laughs> Merry Christmas, like, be thankful. Um, yeah, I think that's where it turns really Hollywood and. At a certain point in your life, I feel like it feels really good just being like, hey, you know what? Like, there is always, like, a good – something good will happen because of all of this, and I know it. But then, you know, there's certain times that you've fallen and failed so much that seeing that ending kind of makes it hurt more because it's just – you're just like, that's not how it happened, you know? Like, some people yeah. do go through that. A lot of people go through that, and they just wind up on the opposite end of the, of the spectrum. Majority of the time. I would say, like – if you're that great for your community or community and this scenario happens, I bet anything that what happened with him, that success yeah. at the end, that's probably a one out of 10 at best scenario. I feel like it's a small town, you know, tight community that that's the only way that can happen. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't happen in San Francisco. Uh, the chances of it happening in El Paso are different. I feel cause like, I don't know. Mexican communities are just different. You know what I mean? Like, I think the chances of it. Ha- <laughs> I think the chances of it happening in a population over three hundred is just not going to happen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that was just another thing. They had, they were all the whole town was celebrating war, one war hero. You know, like I I live yeah. there's a fucking military base, like you know, <laughs> one of the largest military bases. They don't military do base probably has a bigger population than that town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's just different. <laughs> We have fourth list, dude. Like, yeah, uh, it's it's like we're watching this movie and we're like, yeah, but we know how the world really is. So it's it's I think it's more of that kind of you get that not anger, but just that jaded feeling. Yeah, no, after yeah. watching it, where you're like, say this is bullshit. At the same time, you know, this shit's not gonna happen, exactly. no matter how good you do things. Exactly. And that, that's the the realism coming in. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 
you know, it's, it's, you know, watching it, I had both things in my head. Like it felt really good on one end of the spectrum, but then I was like, you know what, man, I've seen a lot of family members go the whole, the whole different way. A lot of friends that it just, this isn't the outcome for them after everything. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I guess that's why it's probably a good movie to watch when you're younger and maybe you might not fully realize it, but if there's things that you could pick up on as you grow and as you grow older, you could kind of start to dodge some of those big mistakes that can lead to a giant downfall you know yeah very um, much so just kind of really just what if he went off you know and did his own thing like with that of you know that that was another thing too the scenario was if he would never been born now if he had the scenario was if he went to do what he intended to do I want to know what would happen then. I, I kind of, I'm very interested in that end of the story and that question. He's like, well, what if I did leave when I was younger and sought out my dreams and traveled and then went to school? Like what would have the outcome of the town been at that point? Would it still be Potter's field and a cemetery and low housing and all those negative side effects or would things been better or just somewhat the same. Like, it's really hard to say when you ask that question. Asking for someone not to be born is the very extreme end of those results. Yeah, you know? very much so. I think because the, the thing would, that wouldn't have been affected was his, probably, his brother would still be alive. He'd still have the ear issues. Yeah. And the pharmacist wouldn't have killed the child with the drugs. Yeah. It would have just been instead like, oh, the, the bank building is gone. Yeah. And from there, and I, th- you know, what's funny. You could kind of politicize it a little bit because you could be like, yo, this whole aspect, this is fucking full on progressive, like social, it like helping <laughs> each other. It really so is. if he leaves, it just turns into a full on, probably conservative, every man for himself. Like, well, oh, mean- these dudes were, were they were they were red hats later on in their lives. <laughs> like. <laughs> You're like, everyone fuck me over. I want to fuck everyone else over. Everyone for himself. Fuck all of you. Well, I mean, the question too would be like, he said he wanted to like build and he even had his like paperwork and, you know, true. His drawing boards. So what if he would have gone Travel back? And build. He said he wanted to come back to the town. And what if he would have come back and built a new community for those? Oh my God. He would have made it still even better than it was at that point. Yeah. And it still would have been actually a potential social like, oh, I bet I'm now rich to help you guys. Yeah, exactly. You know? So actually, yeah, we looked at it and we saw not the worst future, but we saw still a lesser future that could have been. Exactly. Because I bet if crazy. he would have been like, well, you should have gone. And then he would have seen his badass life after that. He would have been like, fuck, I should have gone. <laughs> yeah, even a hero. Like, he would have left. And because the whole thing is he didn't even get to go to school. Mary did, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, like, he'd probably come back around the same time because he'd be like, oh, I went to school. I went and traveled. I did all this stuff. And now I can, like, do all do everything for everybody and i could turn this town into like a prosperous place that doesn't isn't like oh yeah we got a strip club and the bartender throws people out yeah. and the pharmacist is a murderer who's drunk and all this stuff and your wife isn't like uh oh it was they called an old maid yes <laughs> i was like what an old i'm afraid of being an old maid <laughs> dude honestly speaking of the maid that he had as a child um the only african-american in this movie I will say, like, <laughs> fucking the 40s, All she dude. has to do is talk, and then everyone everyone in the movie laughs, and you're just like, she, god damn it. She actually had, like, a great part, I feel. I feel like it wasn't, like, too demeaning. They actually gave her, like, 
a character. You know what I mean? Like I've seen. That is true. I, I've seen. Even worse. though her, the, the fucking little brother, you see him slap her ass oh, as I she know. goes into the kill. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> I know. It's just like, wait a second. Like, <laughs> I was right. waiting for her to take a broom and shove it up his ass, but that didn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I was really shocked that they were just like, okay, you have like one black person this entire film, and it's actually like one of the coolest roles. Like she had, I loved her attitude, her snooping well, around. We know there's like, no segregation there. Yeah, right. Yeah, so because I mean, there's still segregation point. at this point in time, like that still exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's so sad. Um, for another forty years. Well, well, what's funny is that like you know this 30, whole thing, you know, it's all winter based and everything, but it was all shot during a heat wave. And everyone was kind of like melting the entire time too. So that and just imagine like, you know. Oh my god, they're all dressed for the fucking winter, yeah. and it's just like it's so hot. Filming <laughs> a Christmas movie at the time. And Clarence is getting his wings. Yeah, he just fucking got heat stroke. Would you expect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we're all getting our wings. <laughs> Old right man's now. getting it. Um, what what else? What did I want to point out with some of the people? Oh, real fast. Uh, fake snow thing. Um, so apparently at the time common fake snow was uh cornflakes painted white which much a bit a bitch um but they they kind of posed a you know an issue for the audio and so he and somebody else opted to mix uh fomite the stuff you find in fire extinguishers with sugar oh. and water to create a less noisy option that's interesting interesting yeah i thought that was yeah. super cool um and then before like as we're going through the town people real fast um the two people uh did you notice that there's two people named Bert and Ernie? I what? Yeah, there. It's the cab guy and the newspaper guy. I want to say, um, it's but it's not connected with Sesame oh Street. Oh my god! Bert and Ernie. But it's super funny because they have, and you look at the two characters, it looks like it. But I, I was like, get some interviews, and then the guy Bert is not smiling, and Ernie is definitely smiling. Yeah, Bert, you're shouting, Bert. Yeah, Bert. exactly. Yeah, oh my god, this is horrifying. One of the writers, amazing on sesame street that was there for like 40 years he's like i've heard that rumor purely coincidental <laughs> it just happened like it was frank oz who created those characters so it, it wasn't intended like that at all um okay but maybe somewhat inspired i'd love to hear what frank oz has to say about that type of stuff um but i wanted to get to mary because as a wife and as a female character in the movie i thought she and it being the forties, <laughs> um, I <laughs> um, you're an old maid. <laughs> you're I, like, oh yeah, this is the forties. I thought she was a. Uh, I thought she had a really good role, and I thought yes. that she was, you know, you know, treated fairly for the forties. You know, like really well for the forties of her and her what she was able to do and what she did in, in the film and her being like his support beam through everything you know like that was uh the honeymoon was honeymoon was a total disaster and it was actually mary who brought out the two thousand dollars yeah um, and offered that up and then it was mary who kind of fixed their whole honeymoon date and you know set up the whole thing in that beat-up mansion that and made the mansion into a house yeah and turned that mansion into a house and when like you know, when George was just having his meltdown because of the $8,000, she was trying to like help him. She was trying to pull him away from the kids and talk to him. She was trying to understand. Um, and then again, it was Mary who reached out to the community who sent telegrams across 
you know, countries and across the states to various oh, yeah. people and is the sole reason why everything was saved. Like Mary, it's not even so much that George did all these things. It's that Mary was there to help George. And yes. for her to be the one that first offered the $2,000, if she hadn't been there and had been with George at that time, then they never would have brought the extra money towards the end of the movie. Like that was all her. That was, you know, everything that kind of all the good stuff, the major, major good things that happened were because of Mary. Very much so. Yeah. So she was definitely like it was everything about her, too, because she liked him since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Even see the two women in his life that are always like around are there even as children. Yeah. And you just see that whole like evolution as time goes, especially with like each one, because uh, it's like even um, what's her what was her name? Um, oh, uh, uh, Violet. Violet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see her when they're older, and everyone just stops. Every, they, everyone stops everything they're doing when uh-huh. she comes out, yeah. and they're just like, oh, even one dude like almost gets hit by a car. <laughs> I think at one <laughs> yeah, point because yeah. he stops, and I'm like, no, I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right. Like it's all it's a whole thing, and even then, like she treats George as a real friend after like everything else when you know. She tries to woo him, and he's like, "I want to go travel." And she's like, "You're crazy! Ten miles away? I'm yeah. not walking on the grass." Yeah, that's um, man, it w- it was kind of cool seeing his whole life in that aspect, and it um, I don't know, it w- it was just it was just interesting, like how how they were to bring out some of these girls and their importance in his life, and like the impact they have, and how much success he would have had if he went in other directions if he would have stayed with either girls and whatnot you know what i mean like it's just one of those things looking back at his life he didn't hit every right decision but the decisions he did have were some of the best ones because it's like i don't know you know maybe if he took off and yeah he probably would have had a wonderful future and got to travel and go to school and probably come back and build a whole new community but do you think he would have ran you know gone back with mary at that point yeah she's an old maid she's nothing else going on that's fucking true too yeah yeah that actually would have worked out (laughs) she would have been in the library like oh oh no bother and he'd be like hey honey and she'd be like oh thank god i'm not an old maid and then get married (laughs) yeah no it would have been fine yeah yeah that's kind of true too well fuck all right well is that, that just, crazy yeah yeah that she probably had the worst future like it was like you either marry this dude maybe that's the one demeaning thing about her i think it was, yeah that's what i'm saying like just because the whole thing of being a woman in the 40s so like it's just like that you got the respect for being the rivet like rosie the riveter during the war effort and then after that it was like i guess back to I mean, you get the 50s all-American family style thing where mm-hmm. it's it's the wife in the kitchen and she loves to vacuum and you're just like oh, god damn it yeah you know yeah that's yeah that's true maybe that's kind of fucked i'm not gonna lie yep (laughs) all right all right also did you notice potter fucking basically got away with eight thousand (laughs) dollars he never gives it back yeah that piece of shit you know we kind of strayed off once we started getting into that character in general um but i did also expect potter to have like a change of heart and be like you know it is christmas and i i know i see deep down I, i do respect you george or something you know i expected that whole moment to be there at the very end he was yeah. like the eight thousand was always there you know like some bullshit like <laughs> fucking moral but no that guy was just an asshole like yep. pure piece of shit like i'm surprised he hadn't died by the end of the film um type of like bastard kind of like every other corporate guy 
that's the sad truth too again because yep. he, he stays alive the whole that? time it's like yeah this is what happens when you have a lot of money yeah <laughs> yeah you keep going you have a wooden wheelchair and someone's just always hanging out and learning all your secrets um i think that's i would have changed it george goes and does all this stuff comes back as a new benevolent uh just like rich guy who can now help everybody the town then gets their pitchforks and torches, go to Potter's place, take care of Potter. Man, even and if the wheelchair lives pusher, after, you know? I would expect the wheelchair pusher to be like coming back with the money for him. Why are we at this bridge? Oh, what are you doing with me? Ah! Yeah. <laughs> push him over the bridge. <laughs> oh my god! They said it was a crime for suicide. They didn't say about murder. <laughs> See here, dude. That was another thing. I thought that was uh, a little crazy. Um, and it just shows how dated this film is. And just like, and it's a very touchy subject too. Um, but like when they had jumped over the river and they were in like, I guess the bridge master's fucking office. I don't know what the fuck that guy had a little hut set up for. I think it's like the toll booth. The or toll booth something or something. Like yeah, yeah, it was probably like uh, that. I, I figured they were in the middle of the bridge. I don't know how they would have seen it or something. I don't know. Maybe you're probably right. hundred percent of that. I feel like but, the dude heard the splashes and the screaming, if anything, and then he came to help them. I, I think I was thinking the bridge was much larger than it was apparently because I was thinking like I don't know like San Francisco Bridge type. No, it's like this town. I've been to it's like a nearby towns that are more like north of the North Bay that are like near wine country. They oh. have small bridges like that where oh. they're just pretty like you're you're over that bridge within eight seconds. Oh, okay, yeah, that's probably what it was. Driving, yeah, yeah, yeah that's probably exactly what it was. Um, but they go back up and um, they say something about suicide, and the guy is just like. Oh well, I mean it's not legal in this county, and it's not legal in heaven either, or something like that. Like along those. Uh, lines. That's what Clarence says. Yeah, yeah like oh, it's not legal in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're just like, damn, guys, like, ouch! It's not legal in this county. It's not. Is that like that's not a thing now, right? Like I'm not. I, I don't know now. Now you just like. I feel like he'll probably lose some form of freedom because they're like, well, better stop him from doing it again. But yeah, like that I can like, see, and I know they there's like a watch you know, put on you for X amount of time and help and whatnot. But I, I don't know. Take uh, the happy pills. Yeah, right. It's it's just, I just, just the way they present it. Just like, oh, that ain't legal in this town. So I was like, oh, fuck this. Like, yeah. you're going to arrest him for trying to just off himself. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore. <laughs> just, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It actually reminds me like of a horrible, it's like, uh, do you ever hear about the show called China, Illinois on Adult Swim? I do not recall. Oh man, it's just crazy. But they before that show came out, the guy that made it had a shorter version of it on YouTube. And like they go to this uh it's like a dad, his son and his father go back to their old town and it's like the son narrating and he's like, "Yeah, my dad said the thing about his old town was the worst part about it was you could only kill yourself once. <laughs> That's like the whole thing I get of like combining everything because it's like small town. You hate it. You want to leave. And you're just like, yeah, the thing about this town. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of funny as shit, actually. Um, no, I was I fucking got me. So like that, that was like, God, I forgot. I, that was I like when I first went to college, I, I watched that. I was dying. <laughs> I think that was a cool aspect of it. And I think that's where I really connected to it too, is that El Paso has always been kind of like that small town vibe in a sense. Um, everybody but it's knows still it's a city. Like, it's still a city for sure. And it's grown yeah. so much over the last like kind of decade, to be honest, um, especially in the last five years where it's kind of more livable, I feel. But like still brown know, outside. 
Yeah, straight up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I always grew up with that whole mentality of just like, I want to get the hell out of this town. Like, there's nothing here. There's like, it's pointless. And I was, I was growing up and growing up and I just like things just kind of changed and I, did, I didn't end up leaving like I originally thought. And it, it, it kind of weird how that, how your city will kind of grow on you in that sense and familiarity and feeling like home and really not like the place that you want to leave, but the place you want to come back to. Um, but that this whole movie had that whole, like if I would have seen this as a kid, I would have made sure I left. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think it's like a whole thing of like, you always see, you do want that, like leave the, leave the place. And same thing with like me here in San Francisco and stuff too. Mm-hmm. But I think it is like you need that exploration yeah. of seeing the outside world to then kind of put everything that you're, is in your own hometown to perspective because then you feel like, oh, I want to come back, but now I have all these ideas and I can come back with these new ideas because I've seen like everything else. Or yeah. you're like, yeah, I want to keep going and not come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like it's one of those two routes. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. Um, and that's kind of the, I feel like that's the direction I went in was just like, especially the way the world has evolved where you don't really need to be in these major cities, these huge San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York cities to kind of make, they're not getting any friendlier either yeah. in terms of just not even like, I'm not talking about the people, yeah. but just like, just competition and, and living, yeah. traveling within that city. Like, mm-hmm. you know how long it takes me just to get from one side of the city to the other. It's not, it's not like a long ass city. It's not like LA. Yeah. But it takes like an hour sometimes it, for certain areas. Ex- it's ridiculous. Exactly. And that's the the crazy part. You know, like you, I, I don't, to have a career like in the entertainment industry and in like what I do in terms of being a writer and a creator, um, I don't need to really go that far as to go to those places. Like visiting them, spending time in them. Yes, for sure. I, I totally see that and the importance of that. But it's kind of altered where now you could kind of live where you want to live and still have, you know, a very fundamental, you know, living. Yeah. And, uh, I guess going back to the the movie itself, but like, um, one thing I noticed, like, I mean, obviously a lot of these actors are old, pretty pretty much. I'd say the vast majority of them have probably passed away at this point. But one thing about the main character of the film uh, James Stewart, who of course plays George Bailey, uh-huh. I didn't realize I've seen him in something else. When you know, you look at his filmography; he's been in a lot of stuff. He's acted in 102, oh, crap. I guess, like films, television, everything. But he's in a lot of westerns, yeah. very much so. Even uh, is uh, same goes with uh, Donna Reed, who played Mary Hatch. Uh, a lot of these people are in westerns because that was such a big thing, and it's like all those, I guess you could say, like John, not even John, like pre-john wayne and then like john wayne era westerns is like all this stuff it's way before all the spaghetti westerns so it's like that kind of like just the classical style i guess you could say that they had that was really really big mm-hmm. and of course he's been in i believe like vertigo so he's been in some hitchcock stuff too oh, but that's his last okay he, he kind of stopped in the early 80s like that's where he stopped and he did like a couple things but he was done by the 80s but he came back in 1991 for his final thing an american tale fifle goes west he's wily burp the dog really sheriff that's hilarious i looked at it and i'm like oh my god that's wily burp that means 
James Stewart was the one that's like, give him the lazy eye. Oh, and then, like, God. his fucking eye, like, bulges out of his face and everyone freaks the fuck out. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. That's him. That is crazy. Yeah, oh, that wow. was his last thing. He, I didn't, so he died July 2nd, 1997 at the age of 89. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, he, he, he went, wait, what did they say? 19, yeah, 1997. Yeah, so. He he had like six years after his final role, pretty much. Huh. But yeah, there was a whole thing there. Damn, that's interesting as hell. Actually, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, honestly, like I think even Mary, this was her first like big role as an actor. Um, she'd been in other stuff before, but this is the one that was like where she was a main character. I feel. Yeah, I think she. This was her most well-known film, whereas for uh. James Stewart. This wasn't even on his top four, which is really, crazy. What else, are, what else were on his like top? Uh, known for Anatomy of a Murder, uh, which I believe is uh, yeah, Anatomy of a Murder, Vertigo. Okay, makes sense. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh, I've I've never and the fido- the Philadelphia story. Huh. Pretty much, yeah. So, so those know. are his big four really that place. are there. Okay, yeah. that's crazy. I don't even know. I, I wonder how far on this list then is It's a Wonderful Life. Right? How far does it? Yeah. Because I feel like you this look would at, be like one of his top three or something. Yeah, just like uh, Lionel Barrymore who played uh, Mr. Potter. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life was his second most known. The first was like Key Largo. Oh, cool. And yeah, so everyone, a lot of people had other movies that went on other like i guess some, some of the minor more minor characters too had bigger roles than other films that they're more nor- known for as well so mm. it's crazy yeah it's really just i think uh potentially just mary mary hatch uh with donna reed being that was like her biggest thing damn okay huh yeah and uh did you watch this on prime i watched it on or... prime yeah yeah Okay, so it was also color for you then, right? Because originally yes. this was a black and white film. You know, I didn't realize when I was watching, I'm like, oh, they colorized it. Okay. Yeah, and I meant to bring this up. Oh, man, I had a note on it and everything. I just did not think about it. But I was going to say the color correction on this film um, really worked in a in some, in some a weird way. And, I'm not, and not in a way where it looks like good and professional. Like, <laughs> that's not the instance I mean it in. It's like the way uh, George's eyes would come out and just certain colors because you start the film with that magical essence from the very beginning and you've set that standard and then you look at what's going on and the color correction in it makes it look magical and it has a certain tone to it that it does feel like what we were saying that dreamy kind of aesthetic that's like impossible to reach for that homey kind of that, you know, that classic Christmas vibe that still, you know, everyone kind of chases, especially in that East Coast aspect. Um, yeah. And it, it that color correction isn't good by any means, but it works really well for this movie. Um, I feel like it made the whole film feel magical and it made the whole film like have a certain tone and essence to it. Yeah, no, very much so. I'd uh, agree with it. It was... Yeah, it was just it was definitely weird just singing in color. I was it was just not what I was expecting, I, especially it being a forties film. And watching it, I was like, I don't remember ever seeing clips of this in color. Maybe it was just like 
maybe it's been updated maybe this is like the 4k remaster whatever the hell you know what i mean with how many editions yeah. are out there but yeah you're right every time i've ever seen it before it was like black and white stills and whatnot but man it, it's it's kind of it's cool like you know right before this episode we were talking that we were like man we'll, we'll be lucky if we hit 30 45 minutes on this one um and we hit an hour ago <laughs> yeah it's it's a, it's a standard hour episode I, I think it's really because this movie has so much to say and it made it, it kind of brought us out of just talking about the film and into actual real life commentary yes a bit too yeah that, that's why it, it like reflects on that because that film brings up those topics yeah and that's how th- these are the kind of movies i adore and i chase after ones that you're not really leaving talking about the film They're, you're leaving and talking about what it taught you and yeah. what you saw and how it resonated with you and how you connected with it. And it's an experience more than anything else when you're just like walk away with a different mindset about life or a situation or anything. Um, and as we said, it goes both ways. It's uh, you can walk away from it, you know, feeling good and just like kind of a shift in your mood and, you know, really accepting things. Or you could be like, man, it does not fucking happen that way. Like I'm miserable. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those two. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it was just good timing and it was just a good movie to watch at this time um, in our situations right now. And I, I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, yeah. Super glad we picked it. So. Definitely. And before we uh, end it here, I did want to say one thing. I have a new, we, we did talk about this uh, being that any new James Bond news uh, we would talk about whenever we get the chance, whenever it comes up. And I had one, and it's more of like a, it's a funny, like, it's not necessarily full news, but it's like an idea, and it's an idea I don't like. Oh. So there was an interview with uh, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and he says, like, which I totally did not remember this at all, but uh, his grandfather, Peter Mava, uh was a Bond villain in You Only Live Twice, one of the Connery movies. Oh, and oh. Yeah, and he's like, yes, my grandfather was a Bond villain and you only lived twice with Sean Connery. It was a very, very cool and I would like to be, and I would like to follow in his footsteps and be the next Bond. I don't want to be a villain. Got to be Bond, Johnson says. And I'm like, well, if you want to follow in his footsteps, then you'd want to, you'd be a Bond villain because your grandfather was anything but Bond yeah, because right, yeah. he was a, a villain yeah mr johnson and also no because you're not even british <laughs> so fuck that <laughs> you know it's i know i i love the rock i respect the hell out of the rock like and all his stereos. everyone everyone all everyone's reactions were all the same of i love him but no but no, no. <laughs> it doesn't work we don't we want to this is actually an issue with the rock i want to take bond seriously and if yeah, yeah. the rock is bond i wouldn't be able to take him seriously you know if it was if you, the rock was felix no no i still wouldn't be able to take him seriously no, i you know what they should do with the rock and how it could be the like ideal bond film i think the answer is staring us at, uh, at us in the face dude but we need a new bond parody film <laughs> a modernized casino royale parody film and it's gonna have the rock and ryan reynolds and uh seth rogan's gonna be in it um you know we (laughs) 
Uh, well, all right, two things. One, well, what, what's the skinny dude from Superbad and Scott Pilgrim? Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah is going to be Jimmy Bond. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, first things first. One, fuck all of that. Two, uh, we have Austin Powers, which is literally just spoof Bond right there. And there's three movies. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah. that's literally what Austin Powers is. Yeah. It's just James Bond stuff. True. Like, there's even, like, an odd job and there's fucking Leprechaun Man that tries to choke him in the bathroom with his light sharp. Who does number two? Like, what's so stupid? But, you know, we should... I almost want to say we should do Austin Powers because that really. Oh, I've always Bond. thought about it. There, No, just oh because God. we're done with Bond doesn't mean we're done with Bond-related stuff. Like, I want to do we'll the see. Avengers we'll, yeah. and the Avengers... As in the classic British right, TV can, show. This is like we're talking like three or four years yeah. in the future. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, get don't we'll worry. Get to no, that no, I, I, I thought about it already. So. Yeah, you can keep it in, keep it in your <laughs> head for bank. four years it's and then come bank, back to yeah. me. <laughs> but but yeah, I don't. It's sorry. I don't even know if I can see him as a villain. At the same time, it just the Rock doesn't match with it because unfortunately, his filmography has gotten to a point where it's like. Let's see, he's played Babysitter, he's done Jumanji, this dude's a pro wrestler, he's been the Scorpion King, still his best role. Uh, Baywatch, we don't talk about that. Um, he, like Pixar, I like think, he's done everything. Honestly, like... Black Adam might become his... I know there was something where he plays like a, a fitness guy that accidentally murders somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think Mark Wahlberg's in it. Yeah, yeah, That's probably yeah. his most serious and role Falcon, he's ever done. Whoever that dude yeah. plays fucking, yeah. Oh, Anthony Mackie, yeah. yeah. Anthony Mackie. But besides that, and probably maybe... If he is he in Ballers? Yeah, he's in Ballers. He's like, that's his show. So those are probably his most serious roles. If he could do something like that to be a villain without being too... It's so hard to still see it. Seriously, I don't even care. I don't give a fuck. Like, I can't not in that universe. And I feel like it would... I feel like the only way you could pull that off is if he had a small part in it. Kind of like how yeah. Dave Bautista had a small part, but like I don't want to even he, recognize he, that. He did, so did a good job. He was a silent dude that just like did shit. Yeah, he just fought him real fast, and that was it. Like I could see that, or maybe like the intro scene where that's the guy he's facing, and you're like, "How the fuck is Bond going to kick this guy's ass?" And he ends yeah. up doing it, and then you're like, oh, "Shit, all right, cool." I mean, that's but yeah, that's be- it. best case for the Rock is villain. That's best case scenario for him. Or honestly. maybe as like that American agent. And they meet that's up. That's not Felix. That's not Felix. Yeah. I don't want to. Like, I'm not there to see Felix be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna rip the fucking door off a car and then just like yeah, use yeah. it as a skateboard or some yeah, shit." Exactly. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> no. It doesn't doesn't even just, work. And in any of those situations, I still wouldn't be happy. Yeah, it it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the most, maybe some tier one American soldier operator that's actually a soldier and he just acts full on like soldier style. Like that's the other best case besides yeah. a villain, or that's like it. an Alma de Almas, uh, Anna de Almas role where he like teams up with that person to like kick some ass for a brief scene. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, but I want more of her, not more of the Rock later. Like. I also yeah, yeah just yeah, one more for just give give me give us the Paloma cut or the Paloma movie yeah the Paloma movie. <laughs> yeah that's all we want please that's all we want actually but yeah so that was interesting and then of course you know maybe he'll be he'll probably be much more serious in Black Adam hopefully we'll yeah, see I think so. but yeah uh yeah sorry sorry The Rock which I you know I love this guy I fucking love this dude oh, I drink his energy drinks so I drink Zoa yeah a lot I want this man to sponsor everything I do yeah. that would be amazing please. but I'm sorry I just have an opinion too and I gotta say. 
No. I'm gonna put my foot down and say no, but make another Scorpion King things. movie if anything. I, that would be sick as fuck, actually. Yeah, make a Scorpion King. Yeah, that's please. That's, that's go back to that's that. Where that's where the heart is. <laughs> but, all right, Brandon, where can people find you? Check out Apollo City Comics on Instagram, TikTok, on you know Twitter and all that stuff, and then you know we're on every podcast platform on YouTube. We have a uh, Swamp uh, Thanksgiving episode that is now uploaded. You can see some color um, corrected cool stuff on that one. But we had a out of the vault Shazam commentary. We have a, a live episode. You, you could check out the recording now. And we have so much more Christmas stuff loaded up from you guys for this month and some cool things for the start of the next year. Um, YouTube and every podcast platform. But Cameron, where can they find you? Yeah, so, of course, you can find us right here on Sutra Side Talk channel, and you can check out our weekly show, Sutra Side Talk, where James and I talk about what we've been watching and playing, along with a couple pieces of news every now and again. Uh, we also got The Cut of Steel, our DC show, which hopefully we got a Birds of Prey episode out soonish, if not already out. I don't know. I don't know how the future looks at this moment yet. Uh, and also, hopefully, a Wonder Woman 1984 episode coming out, too uh definitely after this episode though and uh we also have up to it down to it which should hopefully have an episode out soon too but uh check it us check us out at instagram twitter and tiktok at sutraside talk and uh yeah give us a good review that'd be helpful and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on yeah so we will see you guys next time for white christmas uh fun more musical i think our first musical movie for the show ever yeah and uh after that we'll do a new year's james bond from russia with love episode yes. and that'll be a good time so we'll be there and then uh, i think in that episode you guys is when we'll announce our uh our lineup for 2022 yes i'm hyped or something or something around that we'll yeah. either do it there or we'll do it afterwards we'll do like a big old we'll do a live episode or, we'll do a reveal or something yeah <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You'll see it soon enough. Yeah. But. All right. Hey, gay man. So happy holidays. Uh, happy holidays, stuff. everybody. And super excited to wrap up this year. Yeah. A year's happy Hanukkah. Yeah. So long. See you.